7 a.m. Central African time. Good morning. This is the third and final hour of Africa Rise and Shine. If you're joining us, uh, this is Channel Africa from an African perspective. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg here in South Africa and we're on DSTV's Audio Bouquet on Channel 802 as well as on uh, www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Samora Mangesi and in studio with me I do have Anne Musa, Tabi Solihoko as well as Fikile Lengwati. Some top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at this hour. World leaders descend on New York for UN General Assembly. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa calls for unity within the ruling party. And in economics, Nigerian state oil uh, company to revamp three refineries. Lastly, in sport, big wins for Zambia and Uganda at Kusafa Women's Under-17 Championship. But right now, let's cross on over to the news desk. Here's Anne Musa with your latest news bulletin. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. South Africa's International Relations Minister Naledi Pando says the recent attacks mostly on foreign nationals must not become a defining moment for South Africa. Pando was speaking in New York upon her arrival for the 74th session of the United Nations General Assembly. One of the things I've been trying to communicate is that this must not be um, seen as some form of defining moment of South Africa. I have a bit of a a problem with that notion and thus making this the sum total of the communication that we have on international relations is very important because the action of a few doesn't define the entire nation. Mm. Uh, The nation has a very clear policy and a very clear commitment uh, uh, to uh, the continent. Now what we must do as a country is ensure that as a nation we both understand and share that commitment. The Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees has announced that it's strengthening its response and operational presence in South Africa to ensure the safety of migrants and refugees in the country. The agency says at least 1,500 foreign nationals, who include migrants, refugees and asylum seekers, have been forced to flee their homes. UNHCR experts on child protection and sexual and gender-based violence will also arrive in the country in the coming days. UN spokesperson Stefan And UNHCR said it is deeply concerned about the recurring violence against foreign nationals, including refugees and asylum seekers in South Africa. The agency is working closely with the government and other UN agencies and other partners to ensure the safety of refugees by deploying additional staff, emergency shelter and other supplies, psychosocial care and legal assistance. UNHCR calls on all state authorities to take every possible measure to ensure people's safety and welfare. No effort should be spared to quell the violence and enforce the rule of law. It is also stressed that those responsible for committing criminal acts must be held to account in court. 
The World Health Organization says Tanzania has declined to provide detailed information on suspected Ebola cases in the country. The WHO says this is posing a challenge in efforts to fight the outbreak. It says fears about the possible spread of the outbreak in Tanzania started this month after women died from an unknown illness following Ebola-like symptoms. Authorities in East and Central Africa have been on high alert for the possible spread from the Democratic Republic of Congo, where a year-long outbreak has killed more than 2,000 people. The Congolese health authorities say they plan to roll out a second Ebola vaccine to counter the continuing outbreak of the disease. It will complement a vaccine administered last year. The BBC's Sasha Schlinter reports. The original vaccine manufactured by Merck has been administered to nearly a quarter of a million people in the past year and has a nearly 98% efficacy rate. But its problem is that it's in short supply. Thousands of tests of the new vaccine have shown outstanding safety. The Ebola response team will start offering it to Congolese traders crossing into Rwanda and then to residents of the province neighbouring the epicentre of the outbreak in order to create a corridor of immunised people. And finally, Somali pirates have released an Iranian sailor held captive since 2015. Reports say Mohammed Sharif Panahande needed urgent medical care. He has been flown to Addis Ababa in Ethiopia and route to Iran. Three of the sailor's colleagues remain in captivity. Maritime hijacking off the Somali coast has subsided dramatically in recent years. And that's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African Time. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Building Africa with love. Hujambo Africa. If there are holes in this continental ship, we are its children. Let us go and stop the holes. Let us gladly do it with our hearts. And if we cannot, then let us die. We will make a plug of our brains and put them into the ship, but condemn it never. Catch us on Channel Africa from 10 to 11 a.m. every Friday and Sundays from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. Building Africa with love. Hujambo Africa. If there are holes in this continental ship, we are its children. Let us go and stop the holes. Let us gladly do it with our hearts. And if we cannot, then let us die. We will make a plug of our brains and put them into the ship, but condemn it never. Catch us on Channel Africa from 10 to 11 a.m. every Friday and Sundays from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. The United Nations General Assembly this week could be overshadowed by the risk of war in the Persian Gulf. That's the view of an expert who follows the global organization closely just ahead of the arrival of heads of state and government for the annual gathering in New York. Tensions between Iran and the United States could undermine efforts by the Secretary General to focus the world's attention on the climate emergency while promoting dialogue towards political and economic solutions on some of the intractable issues facing the world today, particularly in the areas of peace and security. Sean Brass Peace reports. May I please request delegates to take their seats, please. It's often referred to as the World Cup of Diplomacy, 
only there are no prizes or trophies when the final whistle goes, or in this instance, when the gavel lands after the final speech is said and done. And Richard Gowan, a long-time UN expert and current UN director at the International Crisis Group, is perfectly fair in this assessment. This is a diplomatic circus and you have leaders and foreign ministers rushing around giving hundreds of speeches, having hundreds of meetings, often probably not quite sure what they're doing here but they think it's important. The General Assembly's theme for the 74th session, galvanizing multilateral efforts for poverty eradication, quality education, climate action and inclusion. With high-level meetings on universal health coverage, the SDGs and financing for development, the elimination of nuclear weapons, among others, and the Secretary-General's Climate Action Summit. The UN is trying to show that it is important to the fight against inequality, that it is important to the fight against climate change. And it's pressing those messages because there is a sense that in an era of populism, uh, in an era of major social tensions, the UN isn't really speaking to people's needs. But with the United States accusing Iran of an act of war over strikes on oil infrastructure in Saudi Arabia and long-standing difficulties in finding political compromises in Libya, Syria and elsewhere, the UN's developmental agenda could be squeezed from many fronts, as Gowan explains. The big question uh, that a lot of people were asking was whether President Rouhani of Iran might meet Donald Trump and might start to reconcile their differences. But after the attacks on Saudi Arabia, that now seems almost impossible. I don't think we're going to see any really big diplomatic breakthroughs at this General Assembly. I fear that the entire event will be overshadowed by the risk of war in the Persian Gulf. And Donald Trump will face a lot of very sceptical leaders when he's talking about US policy in the Middle East. The African file will also include maiden speeches to the GA by DRC President Felix Tshisekedi and Sudan's new Prime Minister Abdallah Hamdok, while the host country's leader is also one to watch. Antonio Guterres has been playing a very, very difficult hand because he's been trying to keep the UN relevant in the context of a US administration that really doesn't like multilateralism. And I think he's actually built decent relations with the US. But it is fair to say that the Secretary General has struggled to find a theme, maybe struggled to make a big impact on the world stage. This week, he's really focusing on climate change. And I think he's decided that he is going to have to put the fight against climate change at the heart of his agenda. And that's going to be one of the overarching topics here. A world body under increasing pressure to deliver on the needs of the most vulnerable, but dependent on the consensus of member states, who while trumpeting the virtues of multilateralism, often fall short of its stated goals. I'm Sherman Bryce Pease in New York. A court in Houston has issued summons to India's Prime Minister as he flew to the United States. Two petitioners accused Narendra Modi of unleashing brutality in the Kashmir. But the politician was unfazed as he spoke to thousands of fans in a rally billed Howdy Modi, with U.S. President Donald Trump by his side in a gesture of support for a foreign leader in uh, America. Rana Sen reports from New Delhi. 
India's US ambassador Harshvardhan Shringla put up a brave face as the petitioners plan to serve the summons directly on Modi who hopes to convince the world why he locked up 8 million Kashmiris on August 5th there is a very good understanding of the rationale for the steps that we have taken internally in reorganizing the state of Jammu and Kashmir there is a fairly good understanding among members of congress even those who have raised certain issues on account of constituency pressures i think even they understand that ultimately this is an initiative that provides uh, an alternative to people of jammu and kashmir modi's rally was met with protests elsewhere in the us and former indian army general r kadian said the global mood could swing anytime as an indian i feel concerned about two things one the longer the lockdown continues the people who are otherwise peaceful and were totally pro india they will tend to get poisoned the second issue is while the world has supported us totally but those countries are very very stuck up on human rights so longer it lasts focus might shift there the lawsuit accused modi and his lieutenants of extrajudicial killings and inflicting cruel punishment upon kashmiris human rights defender sarfaraz wani said the action would lead to repercussions we cannot expect the people to embrace you when we have dragged them to the stone age there is communication blackout in kashmir right now there are no rights there are no democratic principles in kashmir basically we see how the mannerism in which the people are being detained people are being arrested it is detrimental to democracy it's detrimental to the democracy okay. in jammu and kashmir also we have to see the repercussions it will have and political researcher ayaz rathir accused modi of spreading propaganda ahead of his speech on friday at the united nations general assembly the term normalcy should be abrogated totally for kashmir the second thing is the narrative of development but the livelihood of kashmiris is being destroyed i am coming from a family of apple growers and we are not able to send over apples to the rest of the country because it is total lockdown our schools is being locked out there a new york based attorney warned he would submit the lawsuit as a class action one of the most powerful legal tools in the united states against prime minister modi for news break this is rana sen reporting from new delhi Sadic countries have agreed that member states should facilitate establishment of harmonized transport and ICT regulations. Tanzania's Prime Minister Kassim Majaliwa was challenged uh, has challenged ministers responsible for ICT transport and meteorology sectors to make sure the objectives of the Sadic Protocol on Transport, Communications and Meteorology are achieved. Gabriel Zakaria reports from Dar es Salaam. The SADC Protocol on Transport adopted in August 1996 outlines an institutional framework for its implementation, including a breakdown of committees and subcommittees, procedures and duties, as well as systems for monitoring progress and addressing non-compliance with the regulations. Prime Minister of Tanzania, Kassim Majaliwa, challenges the delegate. In order to attain regional integration, I urge you ministers and senior officials to discuss on how member states can harmonize policies, standards, legal and regulatory uh, frameworks in the areas of roads, railways, aviation, maritime, transport and meteorology. We are all aware that SADC member states needed to improve railway systems in relation to regional indicative strategy development plan of 2015-2063. 
and the Regional Infrastructure Development Master Plan of 2019 to 2023. The ministers and the government officials who are meeting in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania for five days to review the implementation of the resolutions taken during the last meeting held in Vinduk, Namibia, have agreed to strategy goals and the policies for an integrated network of transport, communications and meteorology with the specific funding sources. Mapolao Makoena is the SADC Director for Infrastructure. We're covering a lot of policy issues, a lot of regulatory issues, and including infrastructure development, hard infrastructure in those areas. Uh, there are interesting developments. A number of frameworks have been um, developed, uh, which we are taking to ministers for consideration, and they are in the harmonization space. The five-day meeting has also discussed and provided guidance to SADC public broadcasters agencies to continue implementation of Eye on SADC program in their public entities. So the aim, the plan of sharing content and taking on air the program within the region will be realized. Ms. Makoena and Dr. Ayuburioba, Director General of Tanzania Broadcasting Corporation, TBC, reiterates the commitment. All in all, we have around 11 member states who are participating in this SADC TV channel and in particular the eye on SADC. So we are reaching out to others to also cooperate and participate. But having almost two-thirds of SADC member states, it means that uh, we are slowly recognizing that we need to be uh, working together and talking the same, same language about regional integration. Uh, for instance, in South Africa right now, it's a matter of agreeing on, on which SABC channel to have this eye on SADC uh, channel. So uh, what, what you call uh, Tanzania also, they are already looking into it. So a number of countries, like I'm saying, almost 11 of them are already on board. I fully support the idea of having eye on SADC. I fully support the idea. And I have discussed this with colleagues. We are supposed to start before the end of this year. I'm sure we will be contributing uh, our stories to eye um, on SADC. We've been doing that on radio. Zakaria, you've been doing that uh, uh, on the radio part. So we will be moving very quickly, actually, to start sending information and also using information from eye on SADC on our CBC platform. On his part, the Deputy Permanent Secretary from the Ministry of Work, Transport and Communication of Tanzania, Dr. Jim Yonazi, says despite his strategic plan and the commitment made by the participant during their discussion, but political will and the readiness is required to all SADC members. We have a lot of unrelated um, uh, agenda uh, in the meeting and um, SADC is coming to Tanzania to have a place for discussion, but also to see the level of development that Tanzania has done in um, accordance to the issues that I just mentioned. So it's a big opportunity for Tanzania, but also a big opportunity for SADC as we come together to foster a development for our region. We, Tanzania, but also the whole region, will see the level of development that we have done in the region So through the, this uh, particular uh, session that is, uh, we, are, we are introducing now. So I just call upon all SADC member states and uh, citizens in the, in the region to enjoy and participate uh, in seeing what we have done already. Meanwhile, member states were also urged to operationalize the theme through implementation of projects in the focus areas of ICT, transport, meteorology and infrastructure. Dennis Chirwa is the chief executive officer from Malawi Broadcast Network Limited, who says the five-day meeting has been very productive.
Climate change and severe weather phenomenon such as the recent Kenneth tropical cyclone which affected the Sardic region was also focused during a five-day meeting. Reporting for Channel Africa in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, this is Gabriel Zakaria. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa used a memorial lecture for the late former Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe to reflect on the ANC's organizational matters. Addressing members in Peter Maritzburg, Ramaphosa spoke about the close ties his party shared with Mugabe and Zimbabweans. Referring to the ANC's National General Council next year, he warned members about those who want to destroy the party by creating further divisions. Vusi Makosini reports. A second lecture on the life and time of Robert Mugabe, this time narrated by President Sidra Maposa. The president reflected on the relations between the ANC and Mugabe and sacrifices made by the former Zimbabwean president in assisting oppressed South Africans during the liberation struggle. Soon after they won their own independence, they spared no time, no moment to immediately become part of the frontline states. And President Mugabe became the chairperson of the frontline states because he realized that Zimbabwe's independence and freedom was not complete without the freedom of the people of South Africa. He knew that their own independence could be properly sealed only if South Africa was free. On matters at home, Ramaphosa reflected on challenges facing the ANC. He commended the party in Guazul Natal about the strides party leadership in the province has made to restore unity. However, he warned the ANC about people who might want to see the party's National General Council next year, marked by further divisions. We have made tremendous progress in uniting our movement. When we started off after Nazrek, our unity was wobbly, but comrades, with time, that unity has become stronger and stronger. There are still some pockets where that unity is still weak and we still have our work cut out. And I'm hoping that when we go to our NGC next year, mid-year, we will be able to solidify that unity to take us to the 55th, 55th conference. So that, comrades, la bo abati NGC, kuzo bonaga loguti ubano megu pe uyenzanjani siba pote siba boni suguti NGC is going to consolidate the unity of our movement. Because that is what the NGC is going to do. NGC is for renewal. NGC is for revival. NGC is to see how far we have gone. Now, comrades, in this regard, I wish to salute you here in KZN for the manner in which you are working to forge unity amongst yourselves. Ramaphosa dismissed claims that South Africans are xenophobic. The president also explained why he felt it was necessary for him to apologize following the outbreak of violence between foreign nationals and South Africans. Ramaphosa also announced the planned visit by former presidents of Tanzania and Mozambique 
with a view to establish what the root causes of clashes between locals and foreign nationals are. We should therefore, comrades, be deeply disturbed by the violence that we saw in recent weeks that was directed both at foreign nationals and South Africans as well. Because of our commitment to this vision, we, comrades, have invited former President Jakaya Kikwete of Tanzania and former President Joachim Chisano of Mozambique to lead a fact-finding mission to our country to understand the causes of the recent outbreak of violence and to make recommendations on how we can ensure that such incidents do not recur. The president used the platform to assure South Africans that he is aware of challenges facing the nation, including unemployment and the lack of economic opportunities. He committed the government to move swiftly to address those concerns. This includes a call for foreign nationals who come to South Africa to enter the country legally with proper documentation. I am Vusima Kosini in Peter Marisberg. Authorities in Zimbabwe's capital Harare have warned that water treatment chemicals have run out, hence the city would not be able to top up supply uh, from Tuesday. The water situation in the entire country is now dire owing to droughts and climate change, but in Harare, the shortage of foreign currency has compounded the problem. Simon Muchemo reports from Harare. The Zimbabwean capital Harare could soon run out of water owing to the shortage of treatment chemicals. City of Harare, like the entire government, is having challenges securing foreign currency to purchase 12 chemicals needed to clean Harare water, which is heavily polluted. According to the city of Harare, government is blamed for the non-availability of water, whereas government also blames opposition-run councils of corruption. At least 3 million US dollars is required each month to treat Harare water, but the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe is inundated with requests for foreign currency due to shortages. A week ago, the Finance Ministry revealed 18 million US dollars had been dispersed to the city of Harare, but city authorities say they are yet to receive any money. As such, on Sunday, the city of Harare issued a strong warning via Twitter and Facebook that the water situation had reached alarming levels. Channel Africa spoke to Harare Mayor Herbert Gomba, who had this to say regarding this shocking announcement. The water situation is very bad, bad in the sense that um, we are failing to access foreign currency for us to be able to procure the much-needed um, water chemicals. You know, we use around 12 uh, water chemicals and uh, we, we normally have to go out and buy and most importantly buy from outside countries like South Africa. We buy from people who they've been given tenders by the Procurement Regulatory Authority of Zimbabwe in terms of the law. So uh, what happens is that uh, when you get Forex, you then uh, rush to South Africa to procure uh, those that can be found within the borders, you can then procure using Forex as well. So what has been happening all these months, uh, the previous months, is that um, we were accessing Forex for four days. 
So we'd go by uh, for four days. Then after four days, you start to look for something else. The ideal is that we get Forex for three months. Then we procure chemicals that are supposed to be kept in our storerooms. That covers around three months. Water problems in Arare have been a perennial challenge for the beginning of the year 2000. This made some people believe the ruling ZANU-PFY is either sabotaging opposition-run councils by holding on to treasury allocations. Mayor Gomba appears to be saying the same during an interview with Channel Africa on Sunday. And uh, if we don't get it, what will happen? Only God knows uh, what will happen. But uh, uh, we are doing our best, and I, I suppose the Treasury is also doing their best. As I'm speaking to you, we are running around, and I suppose they are also running around. So we see what comes our way after all of the people involved they've run around and we'll be able to inform the public as to what is going to happen next. In terms of the way forward, we have been running tenders to ensure that we produce the chemicals at plant and I, I'm not sure why we are still waiting for the adjudication processes to be undertaken, but uh, still there's a forex component in it. So the way forward is to ask government to subsidize the availability of uh, chemicals to all local authorities because uh, this is, this post was merely to do with the Arare, but uh, uh, it's important for you to know that uh, most of the local authorities are suffering. In the event city of Arare fails to obtain funds to purchase chemicals by Tuesday, then residents are at risk of contracting diseases such as typhoid and cholera. While the entire country is affected by cholera outbreaks each year, Harare is usually the epicenter, something that is worrying as it is expected hygiene is top-notch in the capital. The reverse is however true that 100 died in 2008 while close to 100 died of cholera last year. Despite the chemical shortages, Harare has always had water challenges as major dams are drying up owing to persistent droughts. Meanwhile, Director of Harare Residence Trust, Precious Shumba, slammed the city of Harare of gross mismanagement. The city of Harare needs to sit down, engage the stakeholders, engage government, and stop apportioning blame uh, on other excuses. They need to take full responsibility for the provision of water. They cannot continue to recruit. They cannot continue to, when they owe uh, workers about five months' salaries, where do they think they would get the money? They have money to pay huge allowances for workshops, but they do not want to commit to the provision of water simply because they think that as a state entity or a quasi-government institution, they deserve to access the foreign currency. Uh, from the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe. In Harare, Zimbabwe for Channel Africa, this is Simon Muchemwa. The time is now 7.31 Central African time. Let's cross on over to the news desk. Here's Anne Musa with your latest news headlines. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. perspective. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne.
Ben Musan, the headline South Africa's international relations minister Naledi Pando says the recent attacks mostly on foreign nationals must not become a defining moment for South Africa. The World Health Organization says Tanzania has declined to provide detailed information on suspected Ebola cases in the country and Ethiopia has announced the arrest of an unspecified number of Islamist militant members of the Somali group Al-Shabaab and Islamic State. Those are the stories making headlines. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa described the late Mineral Resources and Energy Deputy Minister Baveli Lehlongwa as a promising leader whose death is a loss not only to South Africa but the entire continent. Ramaphosa delivered the eulogy at the funeral service in Durban. Speakers lauded Tlongwa as a fearless and dedicated person who always spoke her mind. At the time of her death, excuse me, the 38-year-old Tlongwa had been co-opted to serve in the ANC's National Executive Committee. Vusi Makosini reports. Celebrating a life well lived in a befitting send-off for a person described by many as a selfless and fearless. Slongwa's life was tragically cut short in a road accident. She cut her political teeth at high school and later joined the ANC Youth League and served in various committees in the organization. Among other positions she held was that of Deputy Chairperson of the National Youth Development Agency. After May general election, President Ramaphosa appointed her as Deputy Minister, a position she held for less than four months. The President said among Tlongwa's qualities was humbleness and unassuming character. Young comrade who was hardworking, decent, committed, reliable, dignified and honourable. Your passing has robbed me as your team leader the opportunity that I wanted to have to see you grow in your job, to see you serve our people. It has robbed me of the opportunity to get to know you better as well. And I say, Lalangotolo, my deputy minister. President Sidra Maposa also sent condolences to the families of two other people who died in the same accident that claimed Longwa's life. I once more convey our deepest condolences to the Longwa and Zusa families. In the same spirit, as government, we convey our heartfelt condolences to the families of the people who lost their lives in the same accident that night. These are the families of Kekana in Hamanskral and Malaka in Soshanguve, who also lost their young sons, Katleho and Sipo, as well as those others who sustained injuries in that calamity. While her colleagues in government say Tlongwa's death has left a huge void, Minister of Mineral Resources and Energy, Gwete Mandashe, explains. Both of us are silly and crazy. Now, it gave us a very dynamic combination. That is the kind of a deputy I had, a President. I'm not going to have it again. Uh, celebrate it was short, but it is worth celebrating. I enjoyed working with you, PV. 
but to her family, Songwa's death is immeasurable as she was not only supporting her mother but also children of her late siblings. Her brother, Musa Songwa, elaborates. Late Deputy Minister was laid to rest at the Heroes Acre in Chesterville in Devon. She is survived by her mother, five siblings and four children. I am Vosima Kosini in Devon. Neglected tropical diseases, or NTDs, continue to take a toll on Africa, with an estimated 600 million people on the continent suffering from these debilitating and sometimes deadly diseases. The disease came under the spotlight in one of the many discussions at the World Economic Forum on Africa, which took place recently in South Africa. For more on this, Elizabeth spoke to Joy Ruodo, Africa advisor to the END Fund, a private philanthropic initiative dedicated to ending the most common neglected tropical diseases. In each and every one of us, there, there is a purpose and grace. We were all meant to shine. It is up to an individual to, to realize, realize that, that purpose. Don't ever let somebody tell you. You can't do something. Join me, Amanda Machaga, on Life by Design, where I will be talking to people who share their journey on how they discovered their purpose with the hope to inspire you to, to live, live your life, life by, by design. design. Tune in to Life by Design for your dose, dose of, of Monday, Monday motivation. motivation every Monday at 8 a.m. Central African time and at 2 a.m. the following day. Life, life by, by design, design, be the architect of your life. life. Only on Channel Africa, the African, the African perspective. perspective. So the End Fund is the only private philanthropic initiative that's dedicated towards ending the five most common neglected tropical diseases. They're called NTDs for short. And to explain a little further, it's a group of parasitic and bacterial infections that affect more than 1.5 billion people worldwide. 40% of that disease burden is actually in Africa, which means over 600 million Africans suffer from these diseases. And they include the likes of intestinal worms, bilharzia, elephantiasis, and a good number of other diseases. In South Africa alone, 12 million people still require treatment for intestinal worms. And if you don't mind me painting a picture, Elizabeth, if you can imagine what cooked spaghetti looks like and how long that strand of spaghetti is. Now, a child with a moderate infection of intestinal worms has more than 200 strings the length of spaghetti in their stomach. So you can imagine the discomfort, the pain and the agony that this causes. Tell us more about the discussion around neglected tropical diseases that took place recently at the World Economic Forum in Cape Town. What was the consensus among those who participated in such a discussion? So our CEO, Ellen Agler, was actually a co-chair at WIF in Cape Town earlier this month. And she led a conversation on ending neglected diseases to enable Africa's prosperity. Now, ending NTDs would benefit education, health, and also economic growth of our continent. In our view, it would actually unlock Africa's potential by creating more productive employees, students, and also lifting people out of poverty. In terms of what was discussed at at the closing plenary, there was general consensus that public health issues facing Africa should be dealt with more urgently and that they should be of greater concern on our development agenda. So pan-Africanism should also be viewed through the lens of a health economy. To manage to bridge that health gap, it would actually create more jobs in the health sector. And because I'm a female, I'm going to make this comment. So in the health sector, predominantly, in fact, two-thirds of the people employed in the health sector are female. So creating jobs in health would also help us to address that gender imbalance when it comes to gender employment. 
The last thing that I think is worth mentioning that was highlighted was that we need to tackle these issues as a regional or continental collective because the vectors of NTDs have no respect for borders. So if you imagine a mosquito, for instance, in fact, our CEO made this statement in the closing plenary, which was quite powerful, and it's that mosquitoes have no passports. They don't care about borders. So the only way for us to move forward is to develop public-private partnerships to solve the continuing challenges, but not just as individual countries, but as an African collective. Do you think that research into and control of neglected tropical diseases is an area that has been neglected? So we would say that they are neglected in the sense that these diseases have been in existence for thousands of years and could have been dealt with. But that said, I must say that the end fund has made tremendous inroads in the fight against the NTDs. In our short space of existence, we were founded in 2012. We managed to deliver over 724 million treatments and provided training in control and prevention methods to over 1.8 million people. So these great strides show that significant additional investment can make it very possible to reach the goal of ending NTDs. If only we in Africa could start to participate and collaborate, it will ensure then that the resources are deployed with efficiency and effectiveness, and also with a deeper understanding of the nature of the challenges that are on the ground. You spoke about the importance of collaboration. What do you think the solution is if we are to put an end to NTDs? So I think what needs to happen is that we need to develop a better investment framework. Africans can do so by starting to encourage philanthropy for and by Africans, us participating and being involved ourselves. And just by doing that, we're able to then encourage more philanthropy locally and to achieve more. All the work that has been done thus far, I think we can scale up our initiatives. Instead of the disparate individual interventions, we can then scale our initiatives and reach an end. And finally, what else does the persistence of NTDs in Africa affect besides people's health? So these diseases disable, they disfigure, and they cause stigmatization of people. If you look in the case of, for instance, elephantitis, that's a disease where people end up with severely swollen limbs, swollen legs, swollen feet, and it just looks quite unpleasant. And very often in Africa, people like that end up being alienated and accused of witchcraft. So besides the health implications, it also limits access to educational and economic opportunities. Workforce productivity is severely reduced. Cognitive ability for school-going children is impacted on, and the quality of life is diminished generally. So it keeps already impoverished regions in a continuous cycle of poverty. And I don't know if I mentioned earlier that research has shown that if we meet the World Health Organization 2020 targets for NTDs, Africa will actually benefit from a $52 billion productivity gain by 2030. And this is purely from savings on wasted expenditure that is caused by our health burden. And that was uh, Joy Ruwodo, Africa advisor to the End Fund, talking to Elizabeth Ledicha. The Lovu Youth Choir arrived home to a very warm welcome at the Oartambo International Airport in Johannesburg on Friday. The Limpopo province-based group represented South Africa and the rest of the continent at America's Got Talent. Horasani Sitole was at the airport and filed the following report. Sandile Machola showcasing this talent that contributed to the Ndrovu Youth Choir, reaching the quarterfinals at America's Got Talent. Majola is excited to have been part of the journey. Yo! 
I was having fun. We were having fun. We were just giving it our all, representing, showing where we come from, showing Africa, showing young enthusiasm. We're showing everything. As like uh, one of the judges said that our our smiles are infectious. Our performances are infectious. So that's we went there and we shired. Although the Nrovu Youth Choir did not bring home the $1 million prize money, they arrived here heroes welcome. The group from Limpopo spent six weeks in the U.S. where they participated in America's Got Talent. Bongi Magamba says they were not there with the hope of winning, but to show the world what South Africa is capable of. We're in America not just to win the show, but to, yeah. to show the world how the youth will be going. So we thank America for the great opportunity that it's given us. It was such great. It's, after we performing, we received messages like social media, it went crazy. So we thank South Africa, we thank America for the support that they've given us. Fortunate Manana says she will forever cherish this moment. The performance was good, it was so great, you know. Yeah. yeah. Like yes, I'm very, very much excited. It was such a jovial moment at the airport. Even some travelers stopped by to see what was happening. For SABC News, I'm Morisani Sitole. The time is now 7.44 Central African time. Let's cross on over to the money desk. Here is uh, Tabi Solihoko with your latest economics news. Good morning. South Africa's International Relations Minister Naledi Pando says her government is fully aware that South Africa is one of the larger emitters of pollution due to its heavy reliance on coal. She was speaking on the sidelines of the UN General Assembly ahead of the Secretary-General Climate Action Summit. Pando has called for no new coal power stations to be built beyond 2020 in order to achieve carbon neutral economies by 2050. Well, I'm aware that uh, in a week or two, the cabinet will be discussing its uh, IRP, which is the Integrated uh, Resource Plan on Energy, and will be adopting its policy framework uh, in that regard. We are fully conversant with the fact that South Africa is one of the significant emitters because of our reliance. The World Bank has approved a 450 million US dollars loan to Tanzania, signaling the release of the first tranche of funds to the East African nation that were frozen last year because of concern over government policies. Those concerns included passing a law that made it illegal to question official statistics and expelling pregnant girls from public schools. The government amended the statistics law in June to remove the threat of jail. South Sudan will host an international energy conference in October to woo global investors amid a quest to boost 
That's the growth of the country's economy. South Sudan's Petroleum Minister, Ao Daniel Chuang, says that the Third Oil Conference will affirm Juba's commitment to stimulate the sector's growth as, as a momentum to establish a unity government later this year gathers stream. Chuang in August confirmed that South Sudan has made a new oil discovery at the Ardo oil field in Block B3, containing over 300 million barrels of recoverable oil. The Nigerian National Petroleum Corporation says full restoration work on all three of Nigeria's state-owned refineries will begin in January. Double NPC Chief Executive Malachi Ari said that the company will do everything possible between October and December to make the projects possible. Restoring state-owned refineries in Port Harcourt, Worry and Kaduna has been a long-sought but elusive goal for Double NPC. Farmer and traders are distressed. After Nigerian President Mahmoudou Buhari closed all neighboring borders around the country with a plan to end Nigeria's economic dependence on oil by developing domestic agriculture and industry, the border closure means Nigeria is choked off from the supplies until the next harvest by local farmers. A farmer says tomatoes are rotting in the field because the border is closed and customers have stopped buying from them. The U.S. dollar is trading at 358.90 Nigerian Naira, 1072 Botswana Pula, 103.11 Kenyan Shilling, and at 13.19 Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you 414 Brazilian roll, 63.98 Russian Robo, 70.98 Indian Rupee, 79 Chinese Yuan, and 14.89 to the South African Rand. It's also trading at 80 pence to the British pound, 90 cents to the euro. Gold $1,516. Platinum $954 per ounce. Brand crude $64.96 a barrel. From an African perspective, this is Channel Africa. And now it's time for your sport. Here is Figile Lengwati. First up in our sports update, we begin with football news. Zambia and Uganda national under-17 football teams completed big wins on day three of the 2019 Kosafa Women's Under-17 Championship to underline the credentials as favourites to advance from Group A. But neither side has completed the job yet. Going into Tuesday's final group games, Zambia showed their quality with the comprehensive 15-0 successive or success over the Comoros Islands thanks to four goals from Florence Kasonde, who scored an 11-minute hat-trick on the day. Uganda completed an 11-0 route of Mauritius with Captain Juliet Nalugenge's six goals, taking her to the top of the competition scoring charts with seven overall. The Group B action continues today and all eyes will be on South Africa after their record-breaking 28-0 route of Seychelles at the weekend. 
South Africa will now take on Botswana kickoff time at 15:30 Central African time. Their toughest pool opponents and a win will ensure they advance to the next round. The first feature on Monday sees Seychelles take on Madagascar at 12:30 Central African time, and their simple aim will be to put in a more accomplished performance than last time. An unbeaten half-century by skiffer Quentin de Kock and paceman Buren Hendricks' strong performance with the ball helped South Africa thresh India by nine wickets to draw their 2020 series 1-0 yesterday. Hendricks returned figures of 2 for 14 to restrict India to 134 for 9 after skipper Virat Kohli's surprising decision to bet first in the third in the final match at Bangalore's M. Chinaswamy Stadium. Dikok then anchored the chase with his 79, his second successive half century of 52 balls on a pitch where teams usually opt to bet second. The left handed Dikok, who has recently named captain in the shortest format and made 52 in a losing course on Wednesday after the opening match, was washed out. Smashed six fours and five sixes. Kohli insisted he, he did not regret his decision to bet first, adding the team will challenge itself in the lead up to the T20 World Cup next year and in rugby news springbok sevens players viewers so is converted try at the death enabled south africa to beat fiji 12 10 in the final of the october 1st sevens in munich germany claiming their first title in the olympic stadium on sunday Scores were tied 5-all at the break, with each side scoring a try. But when Fiji scored with three minutes left, it was left to Soizuapi and Human to create some magic and add to the team's silverware. Soizuapi scored a try in the dying seconds of the match, did cleverly running closer to the post and devout Human duly converted to catapult their side onto the top of the podium and a well-deserved win. Tennis South Africa, TSA will host its first ever wheelchair and able-bodied tournament for both men and women on the 24th and the 25th of this month. The tournament will be hosted at the Ellis Park Stadium in Johannesburg with the able-bodied opening their court followed by wheelchair bound the following day. A tournament named South Africa Spring Open will consist of both singles and doubles categories and the commercial manager of TSA, Anthony Murutani, says that this will be one exciting tournament ever this the most exciting tournament i mean it's got a, 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 a lifestyle element it's got um um it's, it's the most inclusive tournament that we ever had for the first for africa this is the first time in africa that we have if not across the world that we have an able-bodied tennis tournament and the world tennis tournament uh, are running concurrently um, very, uh, this is another opportunity for our local players to end uh, the important ranking point right here at home because it's quite expensive for local players to actually travel to, to play into international tournaments. At World Tennis Grade 2 tournament, <clears throat> which is a $22 uh, prize money, and uh, an able-bodied uh, ITF transition tour, for, which is $15,000 for both women and men. The initiative has attracted over 170 players from 25 nations, include top players to watch, such as U.S. Open doubles finalists Kota Zomunjani, two-time Grand Slam champion Lucas Sitole, and Dutch well number nine Tom Egberink. Murutani says the idea behind this tournament is to bring both able and physically challenged tennis players together.
there's there's a lot of I think addition to your productions have invested lots of money. Uh, this this amazing uh, lifestyle element that will be here. There will be so much great entertainment. There will be some of the best uh, um, action on your, uh, on um, center court. And the good news is the action will be televised live, and um, some of the action will be streamed live. And the public can check that out on sa www.saspringopen.co.za. The tournament has attracted over 170 players coming from 25 countries. Uh, but some of the top players in the wheelchair tennis include Emmanuel Morsch from France. And in the able body, we've got our own uh, uh, top women's player, Channel Simmons, um, the incredible Colo Monzi, who is the country's top junior. Um, yeah, this actually required great class. And- That's your sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amuka, Na Unai. And that wraps up Africa Rise and Shine for this morning from myself, Samora Mangesi, producers Pumutso Ramakata and uh, Jaina Rabutata, technical producer Wiseman Mangele and the rest of the team. Thank you so much for listening. Should you have any comments on the show, be sure to send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za and you can also uh, send us a WhatsApp message to plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven. And lastly, you can also tweet us at Rise Shine Africa or at Channel Africa One. Be sure to uh, stay tuned for more news from an African perspective. I will be back. I will be back later again, uh, again in uh, the day for Africa Digest. But uh, for now, let's close it off. Taking us to the top of the hour for news is Shoma Josi with a song titled John Cena. Enjoy your day.